Welcome. You're listening to the Football Coaching Life, brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media, the podcast people. Today's today's guest, Ange Postacoglu, needs no introduction at all. Arguably the best coach Australia's ever produced. As a player with a couple of NSL championships, as a coach with a couple of NSL championships and then a couple of A-League championships with South Melbourne, of course. I'm very proud of, of that and the history. Seven years with the, the Socceroo junior teams, senior Socceroo coach, that incredible, incredible Asian Cup win in 2015, and many other bits and pieces around the edges. But today's not about talking about all the things he's achieved, it's about listening to Angie's story. So welcome from uh, from Japan, Angie Postacoglu. Okay, guys, how are you, mate? <laughs> Just another day in paradise here, mate. The sun's shining, the birds are singing, wouldn't be dead for quids. Excellent. Yeah, that's good to hear. <laughs> so you're in you're in uh, Japan now, Ange, and it's off season. What does off season look like for a JLE coach? Yeah, a, l- a little bit different for us this year. Obviously, um, the world's changed this year, uh, Gary. And um, yeah, usually uh, we we sort of fly home back to Oz uh, during the break. And I guess with a lot of the the foreigners here, that's that's what they tend to do: go back to where they've come from over Christmas New Year. But uh, you know, with everything being so uncertain, we, we decided to stay put uh, in Japan this year and did our Christmas New Year here. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, a winter uh, a winter Christmas in the snow with um, with my boys and and my wife. So it was a little bit different, but you know, try to get some downtime, some some time to spend with the family um, because uh, you know, as you know, if, in terms of football, uh, when the season's on, you, you, you look for those precious moments, and then. You know, after about a, a ten days, the, the family's had enough of me, and then I, I sort of start looking for things to do. So, uh, yeah, then getting back into it. So, um, you know, you never really stop when you're when you're a coach, or, you know, manager. You, you kind of know that there's always stuff that's that needs to get done, and there's always people sort of reaching out to you um, for different things. So you never totally switch off, but no. uh, you know, enjoyed it. And and you've now got full control over the football department, which is in modern football can be a little bit different as this meant that in addition to taking some time with the family we're still looking at signings and transfers and, and those sorts of things for you as well yeah i mean it's i mean you know people say sort of t- total control it's you know i work with sporting directors and two sporting directors who um you know, uh, sort of look after the, the 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 whole transfer side of the business and um you know i'm, I'm obviously um you know, sort of directing them in terms of what what we need and and you know players who potentially could could move out so um you know it's one of those things i it, for me I, I kind of felt that i mean i always sort of feel like i have total control wherever i've worked um but you kind of understand especially with modern football that you know as a, as a manager you, you can't do it all and yeah. one of the key things i think to having success is having good people around you and uh this is probably the first time in my club coaching career that i've worked with a you know, so-called sporting director, and and it's working really well. Um, you know, we, you know, we're in constant dialogue, and he, you know, his kind of brief is to make sure that you know he supports me to get the players I need, and and uh, set up the structure that we need in terms of um, staff and and all the other things that go along with it. Um, but you know, I'm I'm really pleased here. I mean, obviously having success last year uh, or the year before, sorry, kind of helps you in in having more influence over more areas and yeah. uh you know uh, i guess with that comes more responsibility but um yeah i'm, I'm enjoying that side of it. and how was 2020 obviously different from a you 
remarkably won the J League in, in 2019 and then rolled into this year. Very, very strong league, very powerful league. Um, finished mid-table, um, made the round of 16 in the Asian Champions League, which is a wonderful achievement in and of itself. But COVID, a very, very different year. And what did that mean for you to, as a coach? Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was definitely unique. Um, I, I, it's one of those where at the end of the year, every year, you, you kind of sit down and you try and evaluate your season. And uh, there's certainly things that, you know, I kind of encountered this year that I haven't encountered in my whole football career. And, um, you know, I think I've, I've, I've been a manager now for 24, 25 years and even as a player. And just, I guess, the, uh, the uniqueness of the challenges you had, you... you, you you know, we, we had a uh, we had a good preseason because this time last year, you know, around January, we were in um, we were away in camp, and you know, none of this had hit. Uh, mm. The whole COVID hadn't really surfaced yet, and we started the season. We played two uh, Champions League games and started the season really well. We won both of those, and we had our first J League game, and uh, we lost that, but we, we we played well. So I was really happy with our pre-season and the way we started the season man. and then it all got shut down after round one for, for the next four months and and um you know we had i think well maybe two months of two and a half months of total inactivity which has never happened before sort of in my in my career and how you dealt with players i mean we, you know I, I can see now you're, you're very zoom savvy uh as <laughs> but a year ago i didn't even know what zoom was <laughs> so uh, but we were having meetings over Zoom and, and, and conducting training sessions. And and then when the league did start, we, we uh, you know, the, the, the sort of strategy here in Japan was that they wanted to still sort of fulfill all the requirements. So we jammed the a, a, a 11th, what's ostensibly 11th month season into four months. And yeah. it was just game after game after game. We had, you know, there was zero training. There was zero time for analysis. And, and it was kind of interesting for me because as people know, I've, Pretty got a, a clear way of what, the way I want to play and the way I want to do things, and um, it was clear that my methods weren't that effective when you have so many games over so short a time. And the temptation for me was, well, you know what? Maybe I need to change this. And yeah. at the same, you know, the, the thing in the back of my mind was, well, am I changing it just to sort of deal with current circumstances that that may never happen again? And is that going to send the right message to, to the people I work with, um, players, staff? And in the end, I just said, look, we're just going to keep doing what we've always done. And, and um, you know, I was pretty proud of the fact that uh, we still tried to play our football all the way through, even though it was it was really difficult. And, you know, we the reality is we, we struggled through the whole year and uh, didn't achieve what we want to. But I still feel that um, there was growth, you know, within the group in just dealing with resilience more than anything else, you know, dealing with things that we've never dealt with before. And anything stand out? Um, you know, often when things, when we're trying things and they don't work, there's opportunity to learn in there. Anything came come from this year that you go, wow, we can build on that, grow, grow that? Um, yeah, I guess, again, it's one of those where you, you, you probably not in a football sense because I just don't think those set of circumstances will ever happen again. Um, so you can be a little bit reactionary and, 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 and try and adjust things as a result of why things didn't work out last year. But, but definitely there are things you learn outside of football that are just as important. And, and I think the biggest one for me was just the, the how much you miss the connection with people when you, when you 
when that's taken away from you and yeah. um you know, a big part of what I do is making sure that, you know, everyone's sort of on the same page and we're all uh, understanding of, um, you know, what what's required to, to sort of be successful. And obviously we had a period there where we had no connection at all with, and, and you know, it's, it's even more difficult, I guess, here because I don't speak the language. So, you know, it's not like I could sort of, you know, talk to the players one-on-one, um, when we weren't together, um, you know, you have to go through a translator and, and you know, you lose that sort of intimacy of having that close relationship with players. So all those kind of things and, and you know, become lessons. And uh, I guess you, you learn to, to work a little bit, um, you know, a little bit differently in, in the way you um, sort of relay that message when you don't have that constant contact with people. So, mate, you, you, you know, we both you never stop learning there's always you know if, if it's not football it's life that smacks you around and tells you that you know just when you've got the best laid plans mate something will come along that will uh, make sure you need to adjust them amen I know that very very too well um today's not about necessarily all the wonderful things you've achieved as a coach but but about your coaching journey so let, let's go back to the beginning of that you're a little bit unique, but maybe not for your time. You're a one-club man, so you, you went to South Melbourne as a junior after your family migrated from Greece, um, progressed from the juniors into the seniors, um, and then into coaching, I think, with Frank Carrick, uh, Frank Carrick's assistant. How, how did that? How did you get into coaching? What was the beginning of the journey? Um, I just, I, I was, I guess for me, I was, I was obsessed with football. It, it just, you know, I think I've, I've said the story a few times that, and as I get older, I understand it more clearly that it was just the football was a connection to my dad. That, that, that was all it was at the beginning. That was the the birth of it. And it was the only thing that I could sort of, that allowed me to get close to my father, who was like many fathers of his generation, um, working from dusk to dawn and, you know, wasn't really cheery when he got home because, you know, he knew he had to do it the next day. And, the only time I ever saw him, you know, really up and about and, and really enthusiastic and smiling, and he was a very social kind of person from what I understand, you know, in his younger days was, you know, when we walked through those doors at Middle Park on, on a Sunday and he'd just become a different person and I just wanted to be a part of that. And I fell in love with football and, and it wasn't just the playing side of it, you know, I used to sit, you know, they they used to do the post-mortems after game at Middle Park and, you know, if, <laughs> If you'd knocked a hat trick past us in the derby, then they'd be, you know, abusing John Margaritas, whoever coach was at the time. And I'd be sitting around and listening to these old men uh, just dissecting every part of the game. And I didn't want to go outside and have a kick. My dad used to sort of shoo me away and tell me to go outside and play with the other kids. And I wouldn't. I'd just sit there and just listen to these old blokes dissecting every part of the game. And I just fell in love with every part of it. So I was kind of always thinking about every aspect of the game, even, you know, even when I was younger. And then, you know, when I started playing, um, you know, I was always intrigued. I mean, my first coach was Lenny McKendry, who you know well. And mm. I was always thinking about, you know, how he was putting on sessions, why he was putting on sessions. And, you know, I was trying to ask as many questions as I could. I was, I was fortunate I walked into a dressing room almost full of coaches. You know, I had people like, you know, Kenny Murphy or Steve Blair or Charlie Egan, who, who just loved the game and would talk about it incessantly. And, and 
I was, I was, I never said a word because, you know, I was too sort of, you know, you're too intimidated to, but I just took it all in. And so when the co- the playing career sort of finished early for me, I got a, I got a knee injury and I had to sort of, you know, give it up when I was 26, 27, but there was never any doubt that I'd get into the coaching. And um, so when the club appointed Frank, and I think they saw it in me as well, a little bit, the mm. people at South, they'd known me since I was a 10 year old boy. So captain of the club when I was 22 so I think they saw something in me to say well I think they suggested to Frank look bring him in as an assistant coach see how he goes and um, I got into the you know I was fortunate and you know obviously Frank just passed away recently and, and you know people got a clear picture of the kind of person he was and that was sort of the the first dip dipping my toes into it and I loved it mate and I, I think uh, the, the club let Frank go, I think, with two games to go. Um, and I was his assistant. And I remember I was working at the bank at the time and they'd had a meeting on a Thursday night, as they often do, um, and they made the decision to, to sank Frank. And with two, two games to go, they said, I was the assistant. They said, look, um, we want you to take over for the last two games because we're not going to appoint a coach for the last two games. And um, I took the phone call, I remember, at the bank. and. So literally, I put the phone down. I quit the job, uh, the bank job, and and said, "This is not going to be for two games." So I just I was determined to, to this was my chance. If it was two games, mm. that I was going to take those two games. And uh, twenty five years later, I'm not back at the bank, mate. So I'm very very happy. <laughs> <laughs> the bank might be as well. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I think. And I'm just wondering. I had the the honour of um, working with Frank as an assistant with the Socceroos for a very short period of time. And I think what I learned about him, he was wonderful man manager, great at leading men and, uh, and people and athletes. Um, wasn't necess- necessarily um, a tactical genius or anything like that, but was great at leading and developing people. So with assistant coaches, he was more than happy for them to put session on and run sessions. Was was that the way that, that it was for you in the beginning? Did you have plenty of practice as a coach in those early days? Yeah, no, uh, definitely. And and I think the greatest thing that sort of Frank passed on to me was that you're right. He wasn't um, you know big on 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 the, the tactical side of it. He was a it was an unbelievable motivator. If anything, I think he saw the tactical side as you know, as, as probably a bit of a burden. He didn't want anything that was rigid. He, he just wanted people going out there and giving their all. And again, as a coach, I, now, you know, you understand that you can have success many different ways. There's no right or wrong way to be successful as, as, as a coach. And that was his style, but he could see I was totally different. You know, I had yeah. totally different ideas. I had a real specific way about the way we wanted to play. And he never once suppressed that in me. He never once said that some, you know, that's not going to work or that, you know, what you're saying is, is not doable. He, like I said, he gave me the freedom to, to run sessions and, and we'd have long discussions about, you know, what I thought we should have been doing. And he was the manager though. I had yeah. to support what he believed and I did that, but that could have very easily turned around to me and said, listen, none of that, what you're saying is gonna work. It's not right. And and kind of suppressed that in me, but he never did. He let me yeah. run with it. I guess in his mind, he thought, well, you'll, you'll get an opportunity to do it your way at some point and you know, that, that'll show whether your methods are successful. And um, I think that helped me uh, in terms of when I did finally take over, I, I didn't feel like, you know, anything I was about to embark on wasn't going to be successful because he had sort of um, influenced me in that way. If anything, it was the opposite. He just he just had a real freedom to say, 
if that's what you believe in, just go for it. That's, yeah. that's really important. Was was Puskas as the as the coach when you were playing? Was he similar to Frank in, in that way at all? Yeah, similar in, in, in but in a different way. I mean, um, yeah, Frank was just full of energy. I mean, uh, like I said, I used to try and get to the ground early, and he'd be there earlier kicking the weeds out of the, <laughs> the ground. At, 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 and I'd say, Frank, we've got a groundsman for that, but you know, he would just be literally going around taking out weeds. He just would never stop. Whereas. You know, I think Ferenc was at a different stage of his life and a different type of personality, very calm, not a massive motivator. Um, again, a similar philosophy in terms of not a lot of structure in, 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 um, in the way we played, but had, you know, he was the kind of, Ferenc was the kind of person, and I guess because of his humbleness that you just, would do anything for it was uh, you know i've said to people it's like it was like playing for your grandfather you just, just didn't want to let him down yeah. you know he was such a humble guy for everything he'd done in his career and you know he, he could have big noted himself or he could have looked down upon us and our football but he never did you know he made us you know, he made us feel special and and he made us believe and you know again what did i learn from from him was that you know he loved he just he was in the, he was a striker himself. He just loved attacking football. We we would play with wingers and we had uh, Gus Salakis on one wing, Kim Doris on the other wing. I was a, I was the fullback, and as you know, guys, I love getting forward. But he just didn't want our wingers coming back. And I we I remember Blair used to blow up all the time, saying Frank, Ferenc, um, we need some help back here. And he'd say, No, no, leave them up there. Just let them get the ball and dribble, and don't let them come back. And but we had such a um, swashbuckling swagger about us, so we didn't care. And in the end, we enjoyed it. We loved it. You know, we loved playing. And that, and I, I think that's because he didn't have a fear of failure. He'd done it all. Yeah. I think he wasn't sitting there sweating on the fact that we might lose a game because you know we tried to score a fourth or fifth goal against the team, or we didn't sit on a one nil. And and that's very much my philosophy in coaching in terms of you know I've tried to coach without without fear and and get my teams to play without fear and um, there's no doubt exposure to someone like a, a Ferenc um, certainly helped that. At, at that time the other person that stuck out and you said I, I also know knew Lee McKendry very well because of my, my time at Heidelberg and also playing with the state team um, for many of us Lenny was a teacher you know he wanted to teach people how to play the game he had strong beliefs in the way it should be structured uh, and was was very keen on players changing behaviors and helping them did did that had an impact on you or was is that a part of your armory as a coach today or or, or was it yeah oh, absolutely you, you can't i mean i that's where i think i was really fortunate because i had the full spectrum you know i had you know guys like you know Ferenc Puskas who who didn't you know, gave us a real attacking flair with no real defensive responsibilities. Frank, who just was a massive motivator. I had Johnny Margaritas, who was great tactically, um, you know, and again, um, really wanted to work out how to beat an opposition on a weekly basis. And then there was Lenny, who he was just such a structured coach, you know, he gave us such a clear structure. So for me, as a young player coming into an environment where I was virtually playing with you know, 10 internationals and I was the, the sort of lone young guy, my job was so easy because he made it so easy. You know, I had a real clear idea about what I needed to do as a left back in his in his team. And and we were so successful um, playing that way um, that, as I said, it, it gave me an idea that, you know what, there were many ways in football to be successful. You, you, you don't really need to 
Um, there's no one magic formula. I had success with a guy who was really structured in, in Lenny and a guy who had no structure at all. That's a, they're the two championships I won and two polar opposites in terms of their philosophies and the way they coached and even the way they spoke. And But, you know, both really strong personalities, both people that you wanted to play for uh, for different reasons. You know, with Lenny, you didn't want to let him down because he taught so clearly. You wanted to show him that you understood. With mm -hmm. Ferenc, it was... I didn't want to let him down because I, you know, I didn't want to see him disappointed. So um, all those experiences uh, certainly helped me. Like I said, I was, I was really fortunate that I had such a wide sort of variety of, of coaches in my, in my playing career. Yeah. You, you wouldn't then say that one person has had the most significance on, on you as a coach? Yeah, my, my father, yeah. mate. I, mean, I, I, I keep saying to people, I, you know, I lost him, um, you know, couple of years ago now and it's still something I deal with because he was such a massive influence in my football career but also my life but I keep saying to people it, it kind of crystallized to me as I got older I, I try and put out teams that he would enjoy watching it's as simple yeah. as that um, he just loved attacking players he loved you know he, he loved you as a player Gaz even though you were in the opposition because <laughs> the, of, you know the way you played and he loved he loved any player that would get supporters off their chair you know and he, he wasn't interested in my dad wasn't interested in teams who played you know defensive football or, or you know he used to get fr frustrated with Lenny a little bit you know yeah. because he thought we could play more attacking and and that's the football he loved that's the football he passed on to me and and that's been the biggest influence in my career because always in the back of my mind I've got his voice and the, the things he used to say he, you know he used to there were three words he used to say to me in Greek which roughly translated means just keep the ball on the ground. That's all he believed in. He didn't like the ball being in the air. He just thought that's not football. Um, football is you keep the ball on the ground, you pass it around, and that's the major influence. That's what drives me every day, even now. What a wonderful influence that's been, and long may that continue. You're listening to The Football Coaching Life, brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media the Podcast Professionals. Today's guest, Ange Postacoglu, um, it's just wonderful to have Ange here. Ange, what is coaching? What is coaching? Yeah, good question. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's many different things. Uh, yeah, Gary. I mean, I've I think that the, the most basic form of it is that you are, you know, a kind of teacher. It's um, it's you have the ability to influence, um, to educate, um, to you know, help people both individually and collectively evolve. Um, so it's kind of a, a teaching, in many respects, a teaching vocation um, at its core. Um, you know, it's developed more into also a, a sort of management um, type position now where, you know, you, you, it, it involves a whole, a great deal great, more responsibilities, more diverse responsibilities now where you're managing all sorts of different areas and different departments. So it kind of involves, but I think at its core, it's, it's, it's really a teaching profession. It's, it's, it's something where, you know, uh, as I said, because um, in many respects, we, you're still dealing with young people who are, who are still learning, uh, whether it's, you know, men's or women's football. I mean, I still, and particularly when you get to our age, I still look at players who are 30 years old and I still see them as, as, as young people yeah. still learning. You know, um, so in many respects, I think at its core, it's, it's 
it is it is a teaching vocation and um, it's why we've often seen that people with a with a kind of teaching background mm. do so well in, in, in coaching is that there's a there's a real symmetry there in, in what we do. Yeah. And you've been to seven World Cups, six with the juniors uh, and, and one with the seniors. You've won titles in the old NSL, the A-League. You've won titles in Australia and in Japan. How has your coaching changed over, the, over that journey? Look, I, I think my coaching, um, you know, at its core, the beliefs I have haven't changed. I think that's remained consistent. I think the biggest thing that's changed is just the way I guess I, I communicate with with the people around me because the world's changed. Um, you know, I often say I, you know, I, I was I started coaching in '96, '97, and and you know the the way I sort of communicated with players back then, I was still a young man myself, is different to the way I communicate now because you know the world's changed um, through the way we communicate with each other, whether it's you know, through technology or social media or, or, or the way people understand things these days. Um, I think that's what's changed um, probably the most. Uh, uh, the messages I give and, and the clarity of message has to be a lot more defined than it was probably when I was, when I was, um, when I was younger. And, and I guess along the way, you just, you gain more knowledge and, and you're able to to impart some of that um, again in a clearer way than than you know uh, because I was a young man myself I could at the start um, but I, I've tried to stay true to the to the football I believe in and and it's in many respects it's been easy to because I've had success I think you know if along the way I, I hadn't had success then that would challenge what I do but because I've had success the way I've in the things I believe in and um, and that's stood the test of time yeah because as you said I, I you know I've had success amongst you know different competitions NSL um, A-League now in Japan um, at international and at club level so that means that those the, the beliefs I have have stood both the test of time and the different um, circumstances that I've been in so um, that's been that's allowed me then to be more expressive in I guess in the way I communicate more than in, in the ideology I have as a coach. Yeah. You, your dad was, as you said, your, your greatest influence. Have you had a coaching mentor? No, not really. Um, mate, I, I was such a voracious reader when I was younger. I mean, and you'll probably know, I, I used to read Shoot Magazine, Roy of the Rovers, <laughs> Tiger, Soccer Action, uh, Australian Soccer Weekly, and, and, and you know, people won't know what we're talking about, but <laughs> that was my weekly reading material. And I'm talking as a eight, nine, ten year old. I mean, I was just, I loved, and you know, those shoot magazine, Roy the Rovers or Tiger, they were coming out three months after they'd been published in the UK because they used to get sent out, you know, by ship back then. So I, I was reading stuff that was three months old, but I would just immerse myself into it. So I, I was reading and, 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 you know, taking in all everything about football from such a young age that, you know, as I got older, I didn't really have anyone that, not that I didn't, I just didn't feel I needed it. You know, the the the, the knowledge I I already acquired and I continued to acquire, um, you know, held me in good stead. Where I didn't really need anyone sort of to guide my path. I just, I really believed in in myself and 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 what I had because I've been preparing myself for this for for 
for for so long that um, you know, I never felt the need to to have somebody sort of bounce things off um, um, or to sort of guide me in, in, in my principles uh, of, of what I wanted to do. Have you used conversations with coaches from other sports to bounce ideas off? Has, has that been a, a place of, of learning for you? Um, I think, uh, I guess that's one of the advantages of growing up, um, you know, in Australia is maybe growing up in another country where you know football you know tends to dominate so if you're in europe or in south america where you know if you grew up in a country where, where football is a predominant sport you wouldn't get exposed but growing up in australia particularly growing up in melbourne um you know i i love aussie rules i followed afl i followed you know i played cricket in the summer i mean that was that's what you did as a kid uh, growing up in melbourne um so you're naturally exposed to it anyway so you know Aside from loving football, I love sports. So I would follow the AFL or the you know VFL back then, and I would follow what the coaches were doing back then. You know whether that was a you know Kevin Sheedy or a David Parkin or any of those guys who who was a Ron Barassi, you'd follow their stories and hear how they talked. And then you know when you as I got older, and I guess I got more into it. I you know you, you get the opportunity to talk to coaches from other sports. Um, you know when I was at Victory, I you know same building as somebody like a Craig Bellamy. So you come across him and you know, you'd, you'd have a chat to him. And, um, you know, everywhere I've been, I've always tried to sort of, you know, have conversations with people who who um, are in a similar field. And, and you always you always pick up things. You're always learning things. But again, you know, I, that's not necessarily just from football or just from sport. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm not a very sociable guy, but when I get around with people that, I find interesting you, you learn from all sorts of walks of life because everyone's journey is unique everyone has their own sort of challenges that they've overcome to to get to where they are and you're always learning you're always understanding that um you know we we'd like to think that football's a be all and end all life but it's not and and um you can always look outside that to to learn and you know i love reading when i get the time so you know and i'll, I'll read anything that kind of intrigues me and, and I'm always picking up things from that. Yeah. You've you've done a great job at, at not only developing players and being successful at winning things, but in developing uh, young coaches around you, particularly Australian coaches, obviously Pete Klamowski and, and now Arthur Pappas is there, Sean Ontong. I played, with his, <laughs> played against his dad at Moorabark a lifetime ago. Um, do you you're the boss you're the gaffer are you, are you the mentor as well is, is that a part of the role is that a formal thing or is that uh, just a part of what occurs do you think yeah, i mean that depends on the individual so um there's no doubt i see it as as my role the primary task you know i i i mean even when i sort of left south melbourne you know, I really, I was really keen for Mickey Peterson to get the role because he was my assistant, and I thought he needed an opportunity. I think the one thing that I've always tried to maintain is to give people an opportunity, um, irrespective of whether I believe they were going to be successful or not. Um, if they show the desire and, the, and sort of the, the hard work and the sacrifice, um, that we don't have many opportunities in, 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 in Australian football for, particularly for coaches and. Uh, you know, especially after my time with, um, you know, the Australian youth teams when, you know, I you know, went through a period where, like I said, I was virtually unemployable and I, I didn't understand why I was not getting an opportunity. And, and um, I always thought that, you know, if, 
if if I wasn't finally given that opportunity at Brisbane, um, I probably would have gone overseas, and, and I still feel I would have been successful, but mm. I wouldn't have been successful in the Australian game. And I, and I thought, well, that would be that had been a shame. And and then when I finally got the job at Brisbane, I had success. I just thought from then on, I, you know what? I want to make sure that as long as I'm in a position of influence, that I give as many opportunities to people as I can. And sort of since then, I mean, I had. Rado Vitasic at, at the Brisbane, he took over from me. And then at Melbourne Vitria, you know, Muskie took over from me. He's my assistant. Um, Socceroos, you know, Ante Milicic um, um, is now working in, in, in obviously, in the A-League. And they said with Pete Klamowski, Arthur Bappas, there's, there's been a whole lot. And even outside of that, where I've had a chance to have influence over clubs appointing coaches, I've, I've, I've done my best to, to try and give people the opportunity. So... That was the primary thing in terms of the mentorship. It depends on the on the people, you know. Um, some some of the guys, you know, Muskie will still pick up the phone and, and we'll have good chats. Ante Milic is the same. If they want to reach out, I'm there for them. I'll, I'll certainly uh, I'll always be supportive because I know uh, how difficult a job it is. Mm. But I think my primary task is just to give these guys an opportunity. It can be a very lonely place, can't it? It can be, um, but but. Uh, Again, it's the one thing I try to impart on them is that you've got to embrace that. You know, yeah. you've got to embrace the struggle. You've got to embrace the fact that it is lonely. You've got to embrace the fact that it's your responsibility, that, that you, there'll never be a moment where you can sit back content um, and, you know, uh, smoke the proverbial cigar. It just doesn't exist in football. Um, you name me the manager, they're feeling the heat at some point. <laughs> you, you can't tell me that, you know, Jurgen Klopp or... or um, Anyone else who's been at the highest position, Pep Guardiola, not not that long ago, wasn't feeling the pressure because their team wasn't mm. top. You know, and it's not about money. You know, people sometimes yeah. think, yeah, but they get what well, hey, It doesn't matter. No. I can tell you, Frank Lampard at this moment is feeling very, very lonely, and you know he's probably earning more money than we'll ever see in our lifetime. But it's got nothing to do with that. Yeah. Coaching is about understanding that that is a constant. That it's lonely. There's always pressure. There's always scrutiny. Get to enjoy that in a bizarre sense, get to embrace that, get to understand it, get to love the fact that, yeah, you know what? It is your responsibility because when the success comes, uh, you kind of, you can sit back and, and, and you, you, you get a real sense of satisfaction that you've gone through the hard times that, and, and, and you understand the hard times are going to come again. And when they're there, enjoy them. Don't, don't resist them. Don't think that there's an alternative. There isn't. Yeah. The, the, um, I'm, I think it's fair to say that resilience then is a, an incredible skill for coaches to develop on their journey. Big time. It's the number one thing as far as I'm concerned. Um, I've seen you know, plenty, plenty of coaches who've got a hell of a lot of knowledge. Um, it's no guarantee for, for sustainable success or, or, or even staying in the game too long. I've seen you know, other coaches who are very, very dedicated. Um, You've got to be resilient. You've got to understand that, like I said, that the 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 illusion of a lifetime contract does not exist. Um, the illusion of some sort of security does not does not exist. You you'll never have as long as you want as a coach, um, and there'll always be a, a clock running against you that's directly correlated to the to the results you have. And if you start thinking that that sort of utopia exists you're not going to have a career and 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 for every young coach i keep saying the same thing your number one task should not be to be successful your number one task should be to have a career how can you stay in the game how can you stay in the job for 20 25 years and 
if you think that way, every step you make along the way and every challenge you have, you'll get to understand differently because, of course, how do you do that? You have to have success. But if you're chasing success and if you're chasing that you know, five-year contract, you're going to put a clock on yourself that's that's unnecessary. Don't worry about that. You know, Just do what you believe in, do it to the best of your ability, deal with the inevitable pressures and scrutiny that come. And every year you clock off, you know you've achieved something. Great advice. You're listening to The Football Coaching Life, brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media, the podcast people. We were with Ange Postacoglu today, sucking out every ounce of wisdom we can from uh, this very wise Australian coach. Ange, why do you do it? Well, like I say, it got me out of the bank 25 years ago and <laughs> I've dodged having a real job my whole life. I, I, I just, um, there's, you know, knock on wood, Gary, there's never been a day I've got up and thought, oh, I, I can't be bothered going in today. I, every, even in the worst of times or not the worst of times, but the most challenging of times. In fact, that's when I love it the most. I I, um, I just have a real desire to, to be out in the park and, and, be around um, sort of young people and, and trying to inspire and motivate them and, and, and create something special, you know. And, and um, you know, for me, I'm still a fan of the game. I still love the game. I mean, uh, you know, even talking to you, I'm, I still feel like I'm a fan, you know, because I was, I was a ball boy when you were playing. And, and I, I still see it that way, guys of your generation. That hasn't changed in me. I'm still – that little kid in me hasn't changed. I, I, I love that side of the – of what the game's given me and 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 I feel like that as a coach that I just want to do things that are a little bit special that people will talk about um you know long after I've finished and maybe it has an impact on them so that you know somebody else gets in, inspired the way I I was as 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 a kid because I I just feel very fortunate that you know this blessing of a love for this game has given me a, a really extraordinary life not just football, but life in general, because I've said, you know, every person that's close to me in my life has, apart from my family, has come from football. My friends, you know, my wife, my, everyone I know that's in my inner circle has come from this game that, that I love. So if I can create some special things that inspire others, and, and it's why it's important to me, like I said, it's not just about, you know, as I said, I've been fortunate to have success, but I've also tried to do things that have left an imprint well beyond the success that, you know, people talk about, hopefully the you know, the football my team plays or we did something that no one's done before. Those kind of things um, really motivate me. And as long as that's fire still in there and I still feel like that little kid that, you know, um, started off at South Melbourne, I'll, I'll keep doing it. Yeah. And the, the, when you, coach manage at the levels that you have for a, a long time now there are a couple of things that that you face with all the time one is managing up whether that's a ceo or an owner or, or a board and the other one is the media you know they all love us when we're winning and don't love us when we're losing how how have you how have you grown in those spaces and how important has, has that been for you on, on your journey really important probably in, in some of the positions I've held, the most important thing is particularly the managing up stuff. Um, I think at every job I've been from South Melbourne, uh, definitely Brisbane, Socceroos, um, you know, Melbourne Victory, even here in Japan, 
everyone who charts my career, the beginnings are always a little bit rocky, um, only because I tend to do things a different way and uh, inevitably it, it shakes things up. And if I didn't have good relationships with the people who employed me and by good relationships, I don't mean, you know, you have to be close to them. It's just the same way I kind of deliver my message to, to players. I, I, I try and deliver to the people who, who have employed me so that they understand exactly what we're embarking on. And I try and motivate them and, and get them to buy into the football we want to play as much as I do the players. I think it's really important so that when I'm going through, you know, the inevitable rocky patch at the start, um, you know, people say, well, you know, I was lucky at South Melbourne because after five games, my first five games, we were last. Um, they could have got rid of me at Brisbane after my first half year. It was the same. Um, you know, even at Melbourne Victory, I remember the, the, the second game of the year, we got thumped by Brisbane 5-0, my old club. Um, at Socceroos, you know, we had a whole year where we didn't win a game before the Asian Cup. Yeah. Here in Japan, my first year wasn't great. And people say, well, you were lucky you got through those periods. And it wasn't luck. It was that the people who, who I was working with who employed me understood me and understood my message and and probably felt that you know what let's stick with this guy because we're going to have success now if i didn't if i wasn't able to convey that message you know to to the people above me yeah then maybe during those times they could have very well made the decision to to move me along but i don't think it was luck i think it was the fact that i try and make everyone buy into the the vision i have um for the for the football club and, and for the way we want to play and I, I sell them this dream of what's to come. And I think that's really important. Um, and in terms of the media, I mean, that's that's always, you know, it's it's a funny one because, you know, with the media, as you said, there's there's always two types of media. There's the media that, that pretty much will just follow the, you know, the, the scoreboard. And when you win, you're great. And when yeah. you lose, you don't know what you're talking about. There's another aspect of media which is important because they can help you you know, convey a message to, to your supporters and who are very important. And so you can't just turn around and say, well, look, I'm not going to deal with the media. I'm not going to speak to them. Or, you know, you need to um, be able to be in a space where at times there's a requirement there. You have a responsibility to, to your supporters and for your club um, to be able to deliver a message. And, and, and again, with that stuff, I've never taken it personally. I think it's, you know, um, if you don't believe the hype, then you, you won't get too affected by the criticism. So you just kind of treat it all the same. I I was always more worried when 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 press started sort of pumping me up because I know the inevitable <laughs> letdown is coming and the higher they pump you up, the more it's the bigger the pull. So um, I was kind of always happy when they, they were having pot shots. So it's just something that you need to be able to deal with. Yeah, love it, love it. There's been so many things that you've, that you've achieved, that you've won, but I wonder what have been some of the most enjoyable moments you've had? Um, look, at the most enjoyable is people because inevitably that's what you come back to. You, you kind of, you'll be the same. That If I, if there was a reunion of the 1984 South Melbourne team that won the championship, I, I'd be in that room and I'd be 18 again and I'd love it because yeah. it's the people you share it with. And, and it's the same with coaching, probably more so with coaching because with coaching, you get a real satisfaction at the end of the day when you're sitting back and, and you're looking around a room at not just the players but maybe staff members who haven't had success for a long time have worked at the club or board members and you, you see them 
um, enjoy that moment, you get a great deal of satisfaction, and that builds bonds. So it's it's the people you remember as much as the 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 sort of achievements. Um, yeah. But you know, I, I can't separate the success I had at the different clubs I had. They, they were all, or you know, winning the Asian Cup or qualifying for World Cup. To me, all those things I treat the same way. They're just really special moments shared with people that I will have a bond with forever because we've we've shared that moment. But the times I remember and the most are the times where people doubted me and, and, you know, I was down there digging in the trenches, but I knew what we were building, you know, and, and, and I love the fact that a lot of people couldn't see it, you know, they couldn't see what I was doing. And, and, and when it all comes to fruition, it's a beautiful thing. Yes. But by then it's too late. I've already moved on to the next <laughs> thing. You know? and, and I don't enjoy the success as much as others do, but that building of the success, the, the, the initial, you know, when you're, you're digging those trenches and building the foundations, I love that bit, mate. I, every time I go into a new job, that's the most enjoyable time for me because I'm I'm trying to convince everyone, mate, from the groundsman to the president of the club that, you know what, we're going to do things different, but it's going to be a special time. So they're the bits I love. I love it. So then on your incredible journey thus far, um, you're 55, but, you know, that's young in coaching terms nowadays. Um what are some of the valuable lessons that you've learned on the way? Um, that you understand that, you know, people, um, for me, it's, it's, it's understanding that people, no one is perfect, right? Because I look at just my own life. I, I've, you know, I've got so many flaws as a person, which is constantly pointed out by my wife that, <laughs> Sometimes I think, and particularly when I first started coaching, was that I, I, you want people to be perfect. You want young men or women, whoever you're coaching, to be perfect, you know, to do everything right off the field, everything right on the field, to follow every instruction. And you get frustrated when they don't and, and you start sort of judging people. And, and I think that's the word, you know, I, you just, I've just become so much less judgmental of people because I, you never understand a person's journey. You don't understand how a person's been brought up, what their life's been like. To, to really get a feel for them and, and understand there's a reason why sometimes, you know, they're not doing something the way you wanted them to do or why they're not understanding your message the way you wanted to. When I was, like I said, when I was younger, especially as a young coach, I just, you know, you, you want to be this uncompromising hard bastard where you just, you know, it's my way or the highway. And if people fell short of that, you know, Mark, you'd be really critical and, you know, just be totally um, dismissive of them. And, and as you get older and you kind of, I started realising my own mistakes and the things I was doing wrong, whether it was in coaching or in life, and I was tripping up and I'm thinking, well, you know, and I would get really annoyed when people would judge me or something I'd done and, and thinking, well, you don't really understand the whole story. And then I figured, well, you can't tell people the whole story. No one knows mm. your life because they haven't lived in your shoes. And so, you know, now, now that, you know, I'm just a lot more, I guess, tolerance, probably not the word, right word because tolerance means that you're putting up something. I just more understanding, I guess, and more empathetic about people. And if somebody's not doing something I want them to do, I, I, I kind of question myself and see, well, there's got to be a reason for that. You know, maybe it's a simple reason. Maybe it is you know, um, something that's fixable, but it could be just something that is in them as a person. And you got to be understanding of that and then try and make it work for, for what you want to achieve. Um, but 
I don't know. I, I guess I'm feeling, and maybe it's because I am getting older, just society is less and less tolerant of people. And I, I see it around the world where, you know, they call you know some people flawed because they've made one mistake in their life. And I think well, that's, that's not a flaw. That's just being a human being yeah. because we all make mistakes, you know, and, and, and we're none of us, this perfect um, person does not exist because that's not what life's about. As, mm. as we said before, you know, you, you can have the best laid plans, mate, but that's not how life works. And, and um, we all go on this journey trying to be the best we can possibly be. And um, I guess for me, that's the most valuable lesson is I, I, I'm a lot less judgmental on people and, and the way they are. And that's helped me because now I don't take things as personally as I used to. Um, you know, when, when I used to hate it, you know, particularly the start of my career, Muskie was the first one that did it to me was, you know, where, where you invest so much time in, into a player and then they'd get an offer from overseas club and they'd leave <laughs> the next night and you wouldn't even get a phone call. I'd, I'd take it personally and I'd go, what about this journey we were on together? You know, like a marriage. And then you realise that, no, he's actually doing what he needs to do. That's his dream, you know, yeah. and, and you take those things less personally um, than I kind of used to now, you know, and now you kind of, rejoice in the fact that you know a player goes on leaves you and goes on to a better place or yeah. yeah um those kind of things love it absolutely love it you're listening to the football coaching life brought to you by football coaches australia and making media the podcast people today's guest Ange postrigolu and Ange, we're um we're on the downhill run here it's it's almost been an hour i've kept you we probably do this all day um in fact we will do it all day sometime with a with, with, a, with a couple of glasses of red when you, whether plan. either i'm in japan or you're around town can i ask you then in the second last question what does success look like um what does success look like i i, I think um for me anyway success is i guess um what i've tried to define myself by is you know having a a belief in something and 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 seeing it through um you know irrespective of the challenges you may have um along the way so that um i think winning a championship is is great it's it's it's, it's obviously a fantastic um fantastic thing but not everyone does that that doesn't mean that you're not successful you know um to me whenever you make a um a mark um could be on a person, could be on a sport, could be on a club, could be on a, a group of people. That's to me is, is success. And uh, for me, that's been the driving force of everything I've done is that I believe in something. I believe in um, the way, in a way that the game should be played. I believe in that wholeheartedly. I believe that's a metaphor for the way you should live your life, uh, to have no fear, to, to, to really enjoy what you're doing and, and, Every time I've done that at a, uh, with a group of people, that's what I deem as success. And of course, to have um, sort of longevity in our game, you, that has to be material as well. And and, mm. and I think one coincides with another. Um, I don't believe that if you start off with your main motivation is well, you know, I want to I want to win a championship or you know. I'll, you know, people, I've heard coaches say, well, you know, my main motivation is I'm a winner, I want to win, or I hate losing. Well, that's not really unique. Everyone does. Yeah. You know, no, no one likes losing and everyone wants to win. Every, there isn't a coach on this planet that doesn't go into a game wanting to win. Um, so 
for me, success is something more than that. Success is, you know, seeing you in your team. You know, that's that's success. Seeing the message you have in your in your in the people you you're you're leading, and um, that's what success. When I watch teams now, I watch coaches. Uh, the ones I enjoy watching, the ones I deem successful, is when I can identify their team. Doesn't matter where they are or who they're coaching. I I can see their personality in their team. I think yeah. that then they've had success. You know, oh, I love it, mate. Final question for today: If there's one piece of wisdom that you could leave coaches today, what would that be? Oh, um, look, I find find the core of why you want to be a coach i think that's the most important thing now why do you want to coach is it you know because i i just think for a lot of and for the most part we're talking maybe 80 90 percent it's 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 ex-players is it just because you want to stay involved in the game because that's not sustainable um i can tell you you know it's it, it nothing replaces your playing career um once your playing career finishes that part of your life is done even if you become a coach it's not an extension of that it's a totally different experience you know you you kind of realize i realized i went from being a teammate and a best mate of paul trimboli to being his coach well we stopped socializing for that yeah. period i was coaching it wasn't it wasn't the same relationship it can't be so you got to find out why you want to coach you know what what is that the core of why you want to do this because as you as we've already said it's not going to be uh, uh, a happy, carefree existence. You know that for sure, right? It's not. You're not. You're not going to be traipsing off into some fantasy land where it's marshmallows and fairies. It's it's a hard existence. So, if you don't really want to do this because of something you believe in, you're better off not going, um, not even embarking on that. And because it's not easy, it's all encompassing. It's not a it's not a job, it's a lifestyle. Understand that. It's not, you never switch off. You're never going to say, well, you know what, I'm going to leave the club and lock my door and I'm not going to think about it because on the way home in the car, the chairman's going to ring you or the sponsor's going to ring you or the marketing guy's going to ring you or the media's going to ring you or your team manager's going to ring you or the team doctor's going to ring you. So you understand it's not a job, it's a lifestyle. So, you know, for me, I wanted to be a coach because I love the game and I loved there was part of me that wanted to do play to get teams to play a certain way because of this connection with my father there needs to be a real understanding of what's the core of why you want to do this because if it's if it's an alternative to just having another job then i can tell you you won't last um it's not going to sustain you um through what inevitably is going to be a miserable but joyous experience <laughs> Uh, I love it. I love it. What a great place to finish, to finish today's conversation. And just can't thank you enough for coming on today. Really appreciate your honesty. Love your passion as always. And your wisdom is just uh, second to none, mate. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure. You've been listening to The Football Coaching Life, brought to you by Football Coaches Australia. If you've enjoyed today's conversation, want to learn more about Football Coaches Australia, please go to footballcoachesoz.org.au where you could also renew or, or maybe buy a membership. Have a great day.